how I learned banjo was basically the wrong way to do everything. I did everything super backwards. Also, just like the weirdness that we bring to the table just from the people that we are. Uh, I've always said, like, if we're nothing else, we're unique or we're original. You know, we don't, we're not trying to copy anyone else. You know, we're, we're never like, tr you know, trying to do anything in anyone else's style. Hey, what's up? How's everybody doing today? This is Keith Billick with another quarantined episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. You know, it's it's not like I actually am ever social when I'm recording these things anyway, but I did make some small progress. As a lot of you who are regular listeners might remember, last summer I recorded some episodes from my backyard. Well, I did take some steps. I'm still in my basement right now. But I did take some steps. I set up the, um, the you know, the canopy tent is set up and that's where I, that's ready to go. So I'm thinking by the next episode, you will probably be able to hear the evening sounds of, I don't know, crickets and whatever else comes out in, uh, in my hometown here. And uh, I really look forward to having some fresh air while I'm recording these rather than just uh, locked in my basement here. But uh, that that's how it is for now. So I'll deal with it if you promise to deal with some nature sounds in the background for some of these upcoming ones. I also sincerely hope that everyone out there listening is hanging in there okay with all of this. And I, I know that depending on where we live, we all have varying degrees of, you know, abilities to go out and interact with people and maybe see some friends, maybe even play some music again. But for a lot of us, that's still not really possible. And I'll just use this opportunity as another reminder that a lot of your favorite banjo players are probably sidelined for the time being without any income. So if you're at all able to, and I know a lot of my favorite banjoists, a lot of the same ones that you've heard on this podcast are doing those, uh, you know, live over the internet concerts and they'll they'll accept some tips a lot of them are doing online lessons so if that's something you're able to do or think you would even enjoy or benefit from please check into that because that's helping support these people to continue doing what what they love and what we love hearing from them so check into that and thanks for everyone who has participated in in supporting those artists on a similar note the only money that this podcast makes is directly from you listeners via my Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash banjo podcast. Basically, the deal with Patreon is you go there, you sign up to donate uh, as little as $1 per month on up, and that goes to support the show. And there are some really cool rewards at various price points. One of them is for only $4 a month, there's this guy named Eli Gilbert, who is a great teacher, great musician, and a talented maker of instructional videos. And what he does is he makes a custom instructional video for each episode of this podcast, and that's available to certain patrons on that site. So even just those Eli Gilbert lessons are worth the money right there. But you'll also get to know that you're helping to support this podcast and keep me in business doing this thing for as long as possible. Another reward is for me to personally thank you for your generosity on this podcast. And today I have two such people. Supporter number one of today's podcast, 
although these are uh, not in any particular order. But anyway, the first supporter is Michigan's own Annie Caps, who is known uh, known around the state for performing under the group Annie and Rod Caps, and we actually share a mandolin player, Jason Denny, although she wins that battle most of the time. But uh, anyway, Annie's well-known on the Michigan music scene, and she usually plays guitar, but she got started on banjo by her 80-year-old mother-in-law. So mother-in-law, wherever you are, good good on you for, for spreading the word on the banjo, and good on you, Annie, for supporting the podcast, and I hope to see you around really soon. The second supporter of today's show is Rich and Susan Southward. Rich is the banjo player, but Susan is probably even more important. She is apparently his number one fan. Hopefully that's still the case, even after all this quarantine. That can uh, that might change people's attitudes a little bit. So anyway, Susan, thank you for supporting Rich. Rich, thank you for supporting the show. And thank you to both Rich and Annie for your generosity on the Patreon site. Once again, that's patreon.com slash banjo podcast to learn how you can become a supporter of the show. Special guest for this episode is Torin Daniels of the band called The Kitchen Dwellers. The Kitchen Dwellers call their style of music Galaxy Grass, and that's definitely a pretty accurate uh, description, I think, because there's undoubtedly a bluegrass influence. They have bluegrass instruments, and that that's a, just a, an element that runs through a lot of their songs. However, Galaxy comes out because they're not afraid to get spacey, they're not afraid to get experimental, they're not afraid to use a lot of effect pedals that just end up uh, making everything sound a little sideways compared to what we might be used to from traditional bluegrass. But they're making a name for themselves in the jamgrass scene, and Torin here is a big part of that. He not only plays banjo, but he's one of those rare banjo-playing lead vocalists. So he's a big part of that sound, It was real fun digging deep with him into what makes his unique style work for him because he he definitely does have a little bit of a less conventional playing style and he's going to talk all about that. And I loved hearing about that, loved hearing about his influences, his equipment. Like I said, he does use a lot of pedals and definitely loved hearing about the effect that Chris Pandolfi, veteran of the Picky Fingers podcast, had on producing their new album. So really can't wait for you to hear it. Uh, Here it is. One last note. This was recorded at the uh, Parliament Room at Otis Supply here in Ferndale, Michigan. So thanks to those guys over there for being accommodating for the, you know, the podcast guy to haul all his microphones in and set aside some space for us to record this interview. And that also explains if you hear some random restaurant type noises in the background. Shouldn't be too bad, though. And also one last note, there are a small handful of grown-up words thrown out there throughout the interview. So 
If that's something that you don't want to hear or don't want someone else who is listening with you to hear, here's your warning. Other than that, here we go. Enjoy this interview with Torin Daniels. Torn Daniels. I play the banjo in a band called The Kitchen Dwellers. I'm from Montana, and uh, I guess I found I didn't find the banjo until uh, until I started uh, listening to and playing bluegrass, which wasn't until I was probably like a senior in high school. Um, I'd played a lot of instruments beforehand and always been really into music. I started out playing drums. Um, like fourth grade, okay. Um, for like years and years, uh, and are we talking uh, school band drums? School, or like it started with school band, band and then okay. like garage rock band, and then I had, and I bought a drum set, and I, I I still have a drum set at my house, um, and I played in a few bands in high school and stuff like that outside of school, and played drums for uh, a couple of different groups of folks, and uh, and then yeah, I just I think I discovered bluegrass through like. Basically through like the Grateful Dead and Fish and and then through that discovered Yonder Mountain String Band and that was kind of like my intro to bluegrass. Okay, so like the Grateful Dead going backwards through Olden in the Way or Fish kind of had their bluegrass yeah, phase too that yeah, they did. Yeah, and I think um, I think yeah, it actually I actually didn't listen to really any old timey or traditional bluegrass um, for quite a while just because Yonder Mountain String Band was kind of one of those bands that came up with. When people talked about fish or widespread panic or something like that, a lot, a lot of jam bands and, and Yonder was sort of like my introduction to that. So okay, yeah. And were you discovering that on your own, or were some of your buddies all on board um, with this it too? Was, yeah, it was like me and a couple of my other friends. It, I'm from rural Montana. I'm from, like my I grew up in uh, my family moved between Montana and Wyoming a few times when I was a kid, but always super rural. My grandparents live like 75 miles from the nearest town. Oh and, my. Uh, and um, I grew up in Joliet, Montana, and um, I graduated in a class of like 30 kids. So really like it was a lot of just like finding your own type of music. And I think when, I, like, when we first moved there, I was like really into punk rock and like, uh, you know, just kind of like being like the weird music kid sort of attracts mm-hmm. other people people really quickly in that setting when there's not very many other people. You can find each other pretty easily. Yeah, yeah, where like a lot of the people, the only thing you have in common with is that you're all sitting in chairs facing in the same direction in a classroom. But like, you know, know, like there was, you know, there's a few people that you connect with like right away in that setting just because you kind of have to. But so there was like, yeah, there was a few of us that like got into sort of all that same music scene uh, together so what was it about the banjo that drew you to it? I think I just got I just got a banjo because I I had like bought a guitar and learned to and taught myself how to play guitar after knowing drums for a while and then I bought a mandolin and sort of figured out how to play a mandolin and then banjo was just like the next one that I just kind of wanted to work on mm-hmm. um, just because I was getting into playing stringed instruments and jamming with you know my friends and stuff like that and playing a lot of music together so yeah I guess banjo just seemed like the next logical step but I didn't actually ever play banjo for a band until I joined the kitchen dwellers in college oh interesting um yeah and I met Sean on like my first day of freshman year 
um, in, in what my, college are we uh, talking? In Montana State in okay. Bozeman. We, uh, we all, all of us in the kitchen dwellers, uh, went to MSU. So, yeah, and we like met in like an environmental studies class, and uh, and yeah, Sean was just basically talking about being from Telluride. We were like talking about skiing because that's like the go-to. That's where he's from in Montana. Yeah, he's from Telluride. Oh, okay. So like, it, but it, it Bozeman, everyone just like goes to school there to ski because the skiing is. Uh-huh world-class so it's like lots of people you know freshman year just kind of like trying to figure out who they're going to be ski bumming with and stuff and so, that's you too you're a big time um skier. i snowboard but okay. you know, but yeah um basically yeah same thing but yeah so i met sean and uh he'd been like he was talking about playing music with people and i was like well i play music and he was talking about bluegrass and i was like oh well, i have mandolin he was like well i play mandolin and i was like oh shit all right <laughs> like, sorry dude and then <laughs> but then he's like he's like well we need a banjo player and i was like well i own a banjo and he's like, well, that's good enough. And so that's kind of yeah, how you're it hired. all started. Yeah. yeah. So, and I, yeah. And when I first started, I played banjo just with like guitar pick, like tremolo, like man, mm. like kind of like the guy from Trampled. Right. Um, kind of like Dave from Trampled. And, uh, and didn't, I didn't figure out Scrug style for like maybe like a year or two of, of doing that. And then I finally just like sat down one day and was like, I got to figure this out. I got to do this. And how, how exactly did you do that? Did you have um, I just, or books no, or something? I, I just sat down on uh, the, the internet and looked up uh, some tablature and I watched videos of Foggy Mountain Breakdown over and over and over and over and over again. And, and finally uh, just kind of like just figured it out from that. So who were your favorite players at that point? I imagine you'd probably branched out a little from yeah. just the Yonder Mountain yeah, stuff. Yeah, totally, totally. It's, but it was always, yeah, our introduction, I guess, uh, in Montana, for at least a lot of people that I know, is all jamgrass. So it's like Railroad Earth and Infamous String Dusters. Mm-hmm. But yeah, by that time, definitely like uh, had a few favorites. We, we, you know, I'd seen, obviously seen a bunch more shows being in college and stuff and not as rural of a setting as I grew up in. So... Like Noam Bikelny, um from Punch Brothers, uh, Andy Thorne right away. He, you know, he's a good friend now. But I remember like the first time I saw uh, him was in Emmett Nursery Band. And they were actually coming around for you to to go see in person. Yeah, yeah. They used to uh, Emmett Nursery Band used to tour all the ski towns through like Montana and Idaho and Colorado and stuff. Oh, so they would cool. come up like once or twice a year. There was like a New Year's run one time in Jackson Hole that we went to and uh-huh. and stuff like that. So yeah, we used to see them a lot actually back in the day. So. That's real cool. Yeah, but yeah, Andy Thorne right off the bat. You just tell something about him. Just can tell I like that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he's he's a good guy to to be influenced by for sure. Yes, he's the man. What he's do you think man. your main takeaways were from from seeing those bands, and how have you incorporated it into what you guys are doing? Um, I think a lot of it. I mean, a, a lot of our approach to music, just as a band, is just kind of we just do our own thing. We're not. We're definitely not. Uh, 
very concerned at all with genre or certain styles. It's more about serving the song, I guess, Mm -hmm. whatever type of song we're writing or working on. Um, But all of us come from very different backgrounds. Like, I mean, Sean grew up in Telluride and his parents are deadheads. So like, that's a whole, you know, part of the culture that he has just been immersed in his his entire entire life, basically. And um, I grew up in, you know, in Montana and, and all my family's farmers and ranchers. And I grew up, you know, listening to like, Waylon Jennings and Merle Haggard and the cowboy artists like Chris Ledoux or, you know, something comparative to like Coulter Wall or things like that. Um, but then like eventually got into really into punk rock and metal and stuff like that. So that's sort of my background. Uh, Max is from Crystal Lake, Illinois, and his whole family is kind of his dad's super into the Beatles and he's super influenced by like 70s guitar players. And Max, Max is a really good electric guitar player, too. So he uh he takes away a lot of, you know, those styles um, from a lot of classic rock. And then Joe, our bass player, who's from Alaska, his favorite band is Pretty Lights. So I'm not familiar. What uh, is that? It's an electronic producer. Uh, it's one guy, well, but it used to just be, it used to be uh, a producer, and then he played with a drummer, Adam Deitch, who plays drums for Lettuce now. Okay, yeah, um, I know that. And, uh, and it's just like, it's kind of down-tempo-y, funky, electronica, and now, but like sometimes he does live band stuff with lettuce that is, you know has horns and like a whole funk band with him and stuff. Okay. And it's pretty cool. It's like a very cool uh, part of the electronic scene. I'm not really into very much electronic music at all, but like that is like very one artist that I could could definitely Where it creeps vibe in with. there yeah. pretty, in a nice way. Yeah. yeah. So like Joe, you know Joe's influence is totally taken from like EDM and uh, uh-huh. you know some and like old school. Uh, hip hop and electronic and stuff like that. So, so our approach as a band, as a whole, is like just kind of from left field all <laughs> over. It's no like you know, Sean is super into bluegrass and he's very into tra- traditional bluegrass, but not a lot of us listen to a ton of bluegrass on a regular basis. So we are, you know, our, that affects our approach to music. You know, in the way that we kind of just do whatever we're feeling and uh, and if it uh, takes some. Uh, extracurricular techniques along the way then yeah then that's how we're going to do it so are there any extracurricular techniques like specifically that you would want to to talk about that you've yeah, brought to the band yeah sure i i mean um well i just got i just got this uh neckville phantom model i think it's from like 98 but i got it in uh carter's in nashville mm-hmm. a couple years ago we were going through and it was like time for us to make a, a few instrument upgrades and so Sean and I hit up uh, our buddy Billy Strings, sure. and uh, and we were like, we were in Nashville for a couple of days. We actually have extra money to spend, so like, where should we go? Let's do this. Yeah. And he's like, go to Carter's, man, hands down. Don't yep. even go anywhere else. Uh, and we walked in there, and and for, and this was like the one banjo that I just uh, really vibed with in there, just because they're different. Neckville's super yeah. different compared to a lot of uh, you know five string. Uh, companies out there and, st- and stuff so uh you know i just uh vibed with it right away and really liked playing it and it's kind of weird and it's all all the hardware's black and it's kind of metal so I, yeah I, <laughs> it harkens you, back to yeah, your, your yeah. high school aesthetic yes. yeah seventh grade me was really digging it uh when i saw it in carter's but so yeah like it came with these weird yeah this is this is very strange old. that's what those are yeah they're um they're like those um I can't even remember what they're called. The the locking ones, you know, where you can set them on the back. Oh, like uh, people having a like on a Telecaster. 
Or yeah, or like you can get them on on banjo too. The like the locking tuners. Uh, yeah, the D tuners. The D tuners. But I've never seen go. ones like this. And I've, yeah, I hadn't either. And they just came on there, but it was also used. It was a used banjo when I got it, and I asked the guys at Neckville about it, and they're like, "We don't make those," so I don't know where they came from. But um, yeah, but that can, is strange. Can you use those in the same way to like play the D tuner songs? Yeah, you or can. Not- you can, but I, I guess I don't. I don't really know very many of those, so I use them like because you can take them off and put them on different tuners. They're not just set on one specific one. So oh. like this one was on a different was on the middle G when I first got it, and I moved it to the low D. For like, for some some of the some of the songs we play are like sort of banjo medley, so I can really get like weird weird huh. effects going on there, and also just for like if if I flip it and tune it down, play like a drop C, like yeah. for, for some like weird Hartford like uh, what's that song on the road? been messing around with that a lot lately but uh yeah some some extra weird techniques we use a lot of effects too so um that's part of it yeah um, i definitely wanted to ask you about that you pro- probably like even other people who play in real jammy electric bands yeah that tend to it's tough to find ones that work well for it a is banjo. and it's been like it's been a rabbit hole like ever since the beginning and it a lot of it didn't turn out well in the beginning like i was you know i was really experimenting and i imagine like people got kind of tired of like hearing you know certain you know people in the band or people at the show and like me hitting a pedal and just like everything freaking out and getting (laughs) creating a feedback machine basically nuclear explosion yeah yeah. so it's been like a long (laughs) it's been like a long process getting through all this but i i finally like kind of found what works for me and um taking some tips from other players andy thorne when i first when he first met us when we were a lot younger he was like he told me to stuff it when we play electric, you know, stuff yeah. the, the resonator with uh, with some stuff. And I think I did I did it like right there, right then and there, just like pulled out a T-shirt from my bag and stuffed it before our gig. Um, and you think that helped quite a that bit? That definitely helps cancel some of the weird overtones. Um, I also like, um, nowadays we, we all run in-ears, so like it's not really a big, it's not an issue for us anymore, you know? Yeah. It, it was used more to when be you had the way, monitors. Yeah, it used, back, yeah. used to be way more an issue when we had wedges, but... Uh, uh, it's yeah, it's been a it's been a crazy process, but also uh, using this Neckville pickup uh, that I got in here too is super cool. Uh, Tom Neckville's just kind of a crazy guy. He's yeah, like, he sure have you is. met him before? Uh, yeah, he's been on the podcast. Oh, before, nice. Yeah, so, yeah. so he's he's awesome, and all the guys that work there are super awesome. I call them all the time with like weird questions and, <laughs> and stuff like that, and they're super helpful. Um, yeah, he's real happy to get as nerdy as you need totally, him to yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, whenever, yeah, he, yeah, he's like an alien. You can just tell, like, that he just like thinks about banjos like twenty four seven. It's right. awesome. It's so it's so cool. But yeah, so the the warp drive pickup, I think, is what it's called. Is basically I have a piezo under the bridge, and then a, basically the equivalent of a humbucker, I guess, further down the towards the neck. Okay. It's like a single coil pickup, but there's two of them, so I think it's a humbucker. But, um, yeah, typically. And then you just blend them together, so you can get like a lot of the gain, like the high up picking close to the bridge for you know for bluegrass stuff, but also it responds really well to the effects, um, okay. which is super cool. And are you able to adjust the balance between um, how, how they're blended? It, well, it's inside, so I only do it if it's like a cer- in certain rooms. If something sounds a little weird, okay. then I can like tweak it b- with our with our front of house guy before or during sound check. Um, but other than that, it, j- it just stays kind of where it is. But uh, but yeah, so I, I've uh, yeah went through. Uh, 
a long, a long process of, uh, yeah, using, figuring out like, I have like a noise gate that I put on. Yeah. Tell um, us where you're at now. Yeah, like what's, so I, what's on your, what's um, on your feet. So there's, I have a, a grace Felix DI, which is like the that's nicest part the, of the pedal board. It's yeah, so right. cool. Yeah. They're so awesome. And so that's like, you know, the best tone that, you know, it, it picks up everything about your instrument so nicely. And then, uh, out of that, I go straight into this noise gate. Um, it's like, it's like a WMD noise gate and it's super old. I've had it for a long time and it's basically just, it can just like put a limiter on, uh, if you're getting any feedback, if you're not playing at all, it just kind of cancels any of that. Okay. So I put like, I put the any of the pedals that are, have a tendency to do that on that loop. So like I have a Qtron envelope filter, like uh-huh. the Jerry pedal, and right. so that that can get kind of wonky sometimes. So I put it on that uh, loop there to just kind of cancel everything out. And then so I this also, is a loop in the Felix. This the is Felix a, has the Felix loop? has a loop coming out of there, and then this is another loop inside my effects loop. Okay. And then going out of that Qtron, I have like a little seven band EQ, which I learned a trick from uh, the Green Sky guys. They use those a lot to sort of boost certain uh, frequencies in the room. Depending on what room you're in, you can kind of mm-hmm. like change the, the sound your pedal's making to kind of fit the room, you know, because like an envelope filter is kind of super sensitive to, to kind of what space you're in, I guess. It can sound huh. like too harsh or, you know, or it can get too too quacky or too too gainy or something like that you know depending on what room you're in i'm probably not using any of the correct terms my front of house guy would be freaking out right now but <laughs> um but uh you know you can you can just kind of dial anything back that you need to to make it sound kind of perfect every time to get that kind of wow 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 thing yeah, yeah um and then after that i have a uh archer pedal which is a remake of uh this tube screamer sort of pedal called the Klon that was like from the 60s or 70s yeah the, that was the really centaur. popular yeah 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 and uh it's just like a remake of that and it's super nice because it's because i'm trying to get sort of some crunch out of uh we play like some some sort of banjoy metal uh that's kind of like um little it's like prog rocky kind of stuff yeah. but, it, but uh the one uh it's on our new album it's called the living dread um which i wrote because uh it's uh it's it's like half half of the song is kind of reggae-ish and half of it is metal, so it's like the the living dead. Oh living yeah, dread. I get it. So, yeah. uh, but the beginning part is like. So I can get like some nice bends out of uh, having a, a little uh, little extra gain on there, but it, but it sounds the, like riff rock or something. Yeah, yeah, it's like, and I, I listen to like a lot of like Umphreys and things like that. Uh-huh. So it's I kind of like take uh, influence from that too. But uh, uh, but it the that pedal responds to how hard you play. So like the harder you dig in, you can get the like, archer does. Yeah, you can get like a little more crunch out of it if you like really like wail on it. You know. I think that's what uh, people always liked about those is it kind of felt like a tube amp. How it, yeah, how it yeah, totally. crunches how, up a bit more. Yeah, how they like, you it kind of seizes up a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, and it's like, and that's the only one that I found that really works for banjo. A lot of uh, tube screamer and crunch type pedals get like super tinny and kind of like, yeah, they're, they're, they're a little harsh on yeah. the ears. Um, so that one's super cool. That's like, that's like one of my favorites to use. And then after that, I go into... 
what do I go into? Oh, I have a pog, like a synth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I usually just have that with octave generator. It's just, I usually just put the octave that I'm on up and then the octave that I'm right, that's the next octave up. I put that one on as well. So then when you pick those two together, it kind of sounds like a steel drum. Yeah. And so I do, I do like some island Kind of stuff like that. Yeah, uh, cool. And it, and it translates super stuff, yeah. well to that. So like if we go ever go into any sort of reggae jams or anything, I can like kick that on. Oh, and especially if you have the, the Qtron on at the same time, that almost sounds yeah, then a you little clunky. Like, yeah, you get like kind of lasery things the going on water there. Water droplet type yes, of sounds. Yes, Plinko yeah. jams. <laughs> yes. Um, and then I have... Uh, then after that, I go into just like a phase 90 pedal, like the classic one that uh, um, Pete Wernick used and stuff like that. That was like, the, yeah. that was like one of the first pedals I ever bought um, after hearing that one Hot Rise live album. That was like the first time it ever occurred to me to kind of, oh, nice. They mood lighting. kicked on the mood lighting. Yeah, there. I'm liking this. <laughs> this is much more of an NPR setting now. Yeah. Increase the intimacy. <laughs> yes, yes. And so that, yeah, um, I have that phase 90, which is just super cool. It just respond banjo for some reason. It just translates really well to those weird phasey swirls. And then I have, after that, I have uh, this delay pedal called a flashback. And um, I actually got it right before we went into the studio to record our most recent album. It just came out a couple weeks ago, and it's called uh, The Mirror Maid. Yeah, we'll definitely come back to that. Yeah, and uh, so Chris Pandolfi produced it, and uh, he was so, like, blown away by the weirdness of this pedal and how I was using it that he actually went and got one after the the session. And he he sent me a picture and... uh, showed me that he had it but uh it's this it's like the, the flashback, the flashback. Still about? Okay. yeah and it's the i got the second one it's the flashback too but it basically has like an expression pedal on the top so you can just like lean on the button a little bit and it's kind of like having a volume pedal or something like that but it'll it'll basically just latch a hold of one of the notes that you're picking and then it just kind of goes into freak out mode it just kind of overloads so like okay so like when you're playing it and it's delaying then it'll just like latch onto just one and just and eventually just builds up into this. It's like, like that ana- analog swirl. delay yeah. modulation. Yes, exactly. Thing, it's yeah. on the on the analog setting. And it's and it's kinda like, yeah, we kinda use it I kinda use it as like a blast off thing when we're like playing and I'm like picking up and then eventually just gets up high and just like it's a it's almost like a bass drop or something yeah like a dubstep just joke. put it over the top yeah, yeah just something to kick it over <laughs> if we're being super ridiculous you know and so that's super cool and then i um and then i have like a pitch bender whammy pedal yeah um, i heard you heard you mess with that that i that i use sometimes um, is that the regular like red yeah just whammy the big red pedal thing classic okay. thing and uh yeah i use that to um for some for some weird stuff as some weird lasery sounds as well but yeah. So yeah, you don't you don't even have any like examples that came before you of how to play banjo no, with this and stuff. That's you, thing. you get to invent your own. Yeah, thing. yeah. I've kind of like yeah, that's just kind of been my approach since day one. Well, because well, because basically, how I learned banjo was basically the wrong way to do everything. Depends I like, on who you ask. Yeah. That, well, that and that's just kind of what I say to people if they 
asked for any tips out, you know, I'm like, yeah, I was like, yeah, you should ask other people for tips for sure. Cause I have no idea. Yeah. Cause I, when I started out, I was like playing, you know, just with a guitar pick tremolo. And then like, so I figured out how to play Scruggs style from just like watching bluegrass videos and looking at tablature on my own. And then from there, I just kind of went and, you know, we were working on writing songs and, mm-hmm. um, sort of like formulating songs as a band. So I didn't, I didn't do the usual where people play a lot, learn a lot of fiddle tunes and they learn a lot of bluegrass melodies or a lot of Scruggs licks and stuff and kind of like chop up that way. You know, I kind of just like went about it from learning from uh, what we were writing and just kind of stuff that uh, I was, uh, making up at the time, especially with playing with pedals and stuff, kind of like techniques to use along with these pedals that I was experimenting with. So when so I, you think the pedals actually maybe even changed the way you played? I try, think, yeah, to I have think those sounds in mind that you wanted I, to get. Yeah, definitely like, a, yeah, as far as like just playing in a live setting because, um, you know, we've always, since the beginning, tried to play and tour as much as we can. You know, there was a few years when we were in college where we didn't tour out of Montana very much at all. But, um, you know, we've always like had it, the live setting in mind. So, but touring out of Montana, like depending on where you are, you could be yes. 10 hours away from being out of Montana, right? Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and you could like, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, Montana's a big enough state that as like a college band or something that you know, where you're just playing on the weekends, you can definitely travel to all sorts of different corners of the state and still be in your home state. Haven't left the state. Yeah. Exactly, so, and, right. and still like, you know, have, be able to, you know, there's not that many people in Montana at all, but, uh, still, you know, be further away from somewhere else where you're kind of in a different market, I guess. Sure, but, sure. but yeah, so, uh, yeah, the pedals definitely influenced, uh, yeah, experimenting with different sounds definitely influenced the first stuff that I learned. And then after I've only started to like really get into the bluegrass licks and like, all the all the fiddle tunes and all the melodies that everyone learns like right off the bat those right. are like all just coming to me like within the past like two or three years interesting yeah interesting it's yeah it's kind of i did everything super backwards hey yeah, every, <laughs> everyone finds their own way somehow yeah yeah the picky fingers banjo podcast is brought to you by our sponsor Deering banjos who want you to know that banjo teachers love good times In a recent survey conducted by Deering, over 200 banjo teachers were asked, how likely is it that you would recommend the good time banjo to your students? An overwhelming 85% responded that they would, with the number one reason being that good times are easy to play. Even good time ambassador and 2019 IBMA Banjo Player of the Year, Kristen Scott Benson agrees that you will not find a better banjo than this in the price range of the Deering good time. With the good time banjos, Deering understands the importance of starting out with a banjo that will help not hinder your banjo learning experience, which is why they make sure that each and every good time banjo leaves looking great, feeling great, and sounding great. For more information and to see exclusive videos from good time ambassadors Kristen Scott Benson and Pete Wernick, head over to DeeringBanjos.com slash teachers love good times. So we were just talking about how your technique has developed in yes. perhaps unique ways, perhaps unconventional ways, but it's it's the way it's been done. Right. Um, when I was just watching you in there, uh, I did notice that your right hand technique is is kind of different. Yes, it, it's a bit more floaty. And it's a bit, by, I don't I don't mount my fingers at all. Uh, right. 
and I and I've tried to also sometimes I do like on my bridge and when I when I'm doing like single string like like Danny Barnes type shit like okay. I'll like mount my my ring finger like on my bridge like occasionally but mostly yeah it's definitely like very free floating and it, that's just part of like you just I guess figuring it out by myself and no one ever yeah. really I wasn't around enough people that played banjo um, professionally or you know super regularly when I first started out so I didn't know that that was even a thing you were that most people did so it wasn't by design necessarily it was just what happened to feel it's natural just, to just you just what felt natural and also I'm left handed so I am, oh interesting yeah so I'm playing playing banjo right handed but I am left handed and I think that just came from when I first learned how to play guitar it, with guitar you definitely use your left hand more than your right hand uh-huh. just cause you're only strumming with a pick so like that just made more sense to me to play right handed and just because you're, you know, you're going up and down the neck with your left hand, that just kind of felt more natural. Um, and then, so, but then when I switched to banjo, I was like, oh, well, shit, you're using both, you know. And if you had started with that, you possibly might have chosen to I possibly might have played the other around. way, yeah. yeah, but I don't know. I also, I also play drums in the right-handed setup, like if, I'm, if you're sitting down at a drum set. But I, also that just made sense to me because you're still hitting the snare with your left hand. Okay. So it you know, just seemed more natural to me with your dominant. It's kind of six of one, half dozen of the other yeah, in exactly. terms of where your yeah. strengths are going to be. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I've, uh, I've definitely encountered uh, some people that uh, that were like, why don't you, why don't you mount your hand? And, uh, and I was like, well, I don't, you know, I don't guess I don't, don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good thing but, you uh, did, man, because finding a left-handed banjo has got to be a Oh one yeah. of the larger pains. I can't out there. imagine. Yeah. yeah, I I know I know some people that are left-handed players. And I'm just like, damn, like that's got to be just yeah. the, <laughs> the biggest pain in the ass. Um, but well, yeah, I noticed it also lets you do a bit more of um, kind of quasi strumming. Yeah. So sometimes since there's and that kind of just lends to there only being four of us on stage. So we don't have like we don't have a fiddle or, or a dobro. So we don't have any legato. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the like you know, sp- smashing the ones and stuff um, the, is the way uh, you know another way to like build the jams on stage because we're I mean we play a lot of bluegrass but we're basically a jam band mm-hmm. or a rock band you know we have a lot of long songs and we do a lot of in and outs of you know through different songs um, so yeah like one way you know that's like one way that we found to build it just because we've never um, you know held on to a fiddle player you know we never found one that we really vibed with. There's plenty of fiddle players that we vibe with, but they're all in our friends' bands now. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, the, the scheduling has to also <laughs> yeah, work out. Too. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, but yeah, so that's one way that we found, you know, and also just to get more sound on stage. Uh, and also, I do most of the singing in our band, so kind of just um, it's just kind of a natural thing that I think that happens sometimes when uh, when we're playing certain parts, and I just ha- I just have to like hit a big thumb strum or something uh yeah you know at certain parts when i'm singing or something uh but uh yeah it's definitely it's definitely like a lot of it yeah definitely is a weird like ha- sometimes like if we're playing like slower like funkier shit like, you know kind of like big big strums with the thumb um but yeah that's part that's part of uh just i think from learning how to play while singing all the time and also, they're just being four of us on stage. Yeah, that all but. makes sense. Playing banjo with singing is kind of a notoriously yeah uh, 
difficult hard thing to do. Yeah, so. hard thing to wrap your head around. I, I At feel least like if you're trying to do the some rolls or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, I've always been yeah very impressed with guys that can like really dig in there with their rolls and and sing uh, sing regularly. And I you know and I've noticed like uh, I or I guess I didn't notice back in the day when we were going to the shows all the time, but since becoming a banjo player regularly, I've noticed that like uh, Dave Johnson will like just kind of drop out when he's when he's like singing lead on some parts of a song you know yeah um which is like you know kind of the old school way to do it kind of the traditional right. uh bluegrass way to do it but i just that just never really appealed to me i guess so i just uh you always wanted you know, to hear that presence yeah yeah always more. yeah we did I, I, yeah we always kind of needed that presence on stage if there's only four of us you know so yeah for but, sure. yeah so let's go back to talking about your new album, not just to plug it, but I'm, I'm really curious oh, yeah. as a huge uh, Pandolfi fanboy, yeah, you know, how, you, how you roped him and got, got him involved and what sort of role he played and how that affected you right. as a banjo player during that process. Dude, it was, it was crazy. So uh, our, technically our second album, but the first, the first one that's like, that we put out that was like available to the public and stuff that wasn't, you know, kind of like a college music effort, you know, yeah, uh, right. It, a bit more pro. The, yeah, it's called it's called Ghost in the Bottle, and it's like four or five years old now. But it's uh, it was produced by Andy Thorne, mm-hmm. and who we just like met um, from uh, him coming to Big Sky Big Grass actually in Montana, which is like kind of the equivalent of Winter Wondergrass, where you go up and ski, and uh, everyone stays at the mountain and stuff. And but then there's tons of bluegrass shows going on and stuff, and everyone's um, playing in their and, ski outfits. Yeah, because you have to. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, all the Big Sky shows are inside. They're all in the hotels, oh. in, like, ballrooms and stuff. Much better. Um, yeah. Uh, but it's all, you know, we met him from him coming to that, and him just kind of go. he went to our opera set, and there was, like, and we're, that's where we're from. It's at Big Sky, and we're from Bozeman, so it was, like, a raging opera set of, like, you know, 500 people or whatever. And he, he just wandered uh, in. Opera set? What are you saying? Opera? I'm, I'm uh, it's a French word. Term. It's uh, It's after you're done skiing for the day opere ski is it means after ski so oh. um it's like 4 p.m to 7 p.m is like opere it's like happy hour basically. is this like a ski town lingo thing? Yeah, oh yeah for okay. sure yeah, yeah. yeah I, I forget that's that, my uh, that's my issue though. i forget where i am uh there's a lot of skiers in michigan but i'm right I, whatever yeah totally not something yeah. i've been into as much totally yeah um yeah opere ski how do you spell like, that uh, it's a-p-r-e-s okay and i think there's like a little over the e right right um you, you know <laughs> the uh, french accent things, yes yeah. yes exactly uh so yeah so he just kind of wandered in and and that's how we met him and so he produced that album and then we went to get you know put the second album together and we're like well you know having a producer definitely helps and having someone there to like show you the ropes and you know just kind of show you the tricks and tell you what you're doing wrong or you know just kind of point you in the right direction is a huge huge benefit and i think uh, Sean was the first. He's like, "Why don't we just do another banjo player?" And I was like, "Awesome, yeah, let's do another banjo." You know, yeah, like, yeah. 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 And uh, so, it, I think we, I think we just like, I, I had like had a couple interactions with the guys from the String Dusters uh, from playing at festivals, but not like a ton. And I think we just like, w- we just kind of hit panned up and asked if that was something he'd be into because we knew he'd we knew other bands that he'd kind of worked on right. uh, other projects with, and uh, he he was like. Absolutely, uh, and we kind of had a uh, little meeting with him at Blue Ox uh, one day, and kind of hung out. Yeah, then after that, we just kind of got to know him and uh, be friends with uh, the String Dusters guys, and uh, uh-huh. which has been super cool. And we and uh, yeah, like having him around uh, 
we call it the panda effect that which is something max came up with which is basically like it's just gaining knowledge or becoming a better musician kind of through osmosis or like through exposure being around other better musicians for an extended period of time just the attitude he brings and just like little ideas or little you know things that like he would say that never occurred to you or he would be like why don't ask you like you know why don't you try like this he wouldn't he would never tell us to do something a certain way he would just you know kind of make suggestions and uh he, he was really awesome to have him as a, on as a producer because we all had a, a very solid plan going into the studio, but also um, he was always, you know, absolutely 100% interested in what we had to say and the way that we wanted to do things. Yeah. Um, but he's just that kind of guy, you know, he pretty sure he has a PhD in banjo. Like, so he's, you know, he's just that knowledgeable and methodical of a guy that... Um, um, I, you know, we just picked up a lot of things from him along the way. And also we really vibe with those guys from the string dusters too. Cause they're also, you know, like a lot of them are from the East coast and grew up going to the dead or going to fish mm-hmm. and like the, the young freshman year wooks in us just like, you know, connected <laughs> to that, you know, back in the day when there used to be a lot more patchwork in the band. Yeah. And, there's a kinship. Yes. Happening. Yes. Yeah, that's and so, really cool. And he didn't, you know, he didn't try to make us sound like any other band, you know, like he, was you know was interested in just the way we approach things because I guess I've, I've always said like if we're nothing else we're unique or we're original you know we don't we don't you know take a lot of things from from other people or you know we're not we're not trying to copy anyone else you sure. know we're we're never like tr- you know trying to do anything in anyone else's style um, so he, I think he he was really stoked on that and also just like the weirdness that we bring to the table just from the people that we are. Uh, that that banjo metal song is on that album and there's also there's also an interlude that we put in there because we it's called the quail and um it's because uh that he was like what are we going to call this and i was like well we should call it the quail lewd because it's an interlude (laughs) 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 and uh someone in the studio was like that's a terrible idea and panda was like we're doing that right right it's like it, it just is this weird space jam thing that happened live one time just kind of out of nowhere and we just decided to redo it and now it's like a you know it's a live segment of that we kind of slip into jams here and there oh um, that's great but it's uh we put it on there just because it was uh it, the idea of putting these weird li- interludes in there because um i've been getting really into like anderson pock and like kendrick lamar and thundercat and and things like that all these sort of like avant-garde hip-hop rap artists that put weird there's like a it's like a jam you know it's like a segue that you'd see at a fish show or at a string duster show or whatever but it's in between these two songs but it's it's just on a on the album as like an interlude yeah um and they kind of like and they slip these in all over the place and even into their live shows especially anderson pock and it just kind of it kind of like takes on this weird you know like jam or like jazzy quality 
Yeah, it's to like the a record. song idea that just yeah. never got finished. Yeah, and you, exactly. And you let it happen live. And you, and yeah. you just let it, yeah. And uh, so we kind of like took that idea, and uh, I think that's an idea we're going to kind of keep, you know, keep going with in the future. We've already talked about some other weird things to do it, but basically, yeah. you know, we just tried to. We're not trying to make. We didn't try to make make specifically a bluegrass album. We just tried to make our album, so it's mm-hmm. it has all of the weird qualities that all of us have and uh panda was super good at accentuating that you know yeah that's that's a real a real skill that you would yeah. have to have i, yes. I imagine yes as yeah. a banjo player was he giving you banjo specific totally. ideas yeah he uh he gave me all these warm-ups um that i can play uh, a lot of these warm-ups that he showed me um because he's super into um oh what's it called alexander technique yeah right so uh because he injured himself way back in the day and basically he had to go back at one point and relearn how to play because his shoulder was so messed up. Um, injured himself like from uh, just I think from it's just playing? A re- or yeah, repetitive like... strain. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so he like had to like play sitting in front of a mirror and, and if you notice now when he plays his posture is like impeccable when he's on stage. He's just like straight up and down the whole time. Um, but he's like, you know, he's like, he's like, you, he's like, the way I think about it is like, you don't necessarily just want to like pick up the banjo and just like rip and just like, you know, right off the bat, he's yeah. like, he's like, you want to like kind of warm your, your tendons up and, you know, cause everything's all connected all the way from your fingertips up to your shoulder, to your spine. And sure. It, and so he's like, when you think, you know, like he showed, he showed me all these weird warm ups to do that's basically just like going up and down, but it's like, but they're unique enough scales i feel that uh do you remember them enough to yeah, like show I, th- I, th- I have one that i i still have one that i regularly practice that he showed me a few but i think it's the only one that i remember but it's just uh it's like you're playing in g minor but it's uh it's beef it's a lot of b flat scales so it's and it's and it's all forward rolls And he, and he, what he did, he had a lot of things like that that he would just kind of show me that was just working up and down the neck and kind of like warming up your hands and kind of getting, getting prepared, you know, when you're like getting ready to play a show or just something. Just doing them Stuff like that, at that tempo, yeah, basically. Yeah, doing them at a slow tempo where you're, and it, which is hard for me to do because we kind of like, we started out as like just kind of like a raging drunk college bluegrass band, you know, so we were like playing, we're just now, you know, within the past couple of years getting into playing in more of like a, well, you know, the like a uh, standard or like medium-paced bluegrass style. You know, we used to just like rage all of our songs. <laughs> Basically, we're a better band now than we used to be. <laughs> you, can, you can finesse it a little yeah, bit better. Can, yeah, there's a little. It's not like yeah, it's not so uh, punk rock anymore. So yeah, uh, so I've been working a lot about that. Um, and there's another one. Um. That uh, uh, my friend Augie, who's in a band called Armchair Boogie, they're from Wisconsin. They're kind okay. of like a they're they're a bluegrass band, bu- like funk grass band kind of. They have drummer and uh, electric bass and stuff. But he showed me this uh, Tony Trishka one that he had been working on. Um, that I can't remember what what song it is, what tune it's from that Tony Trishka wrote, but it's a. Okay. Just kind of these this weird like descending, uh, yeah. Just getting your way around thing. the fingerboard a bit. Yeah, and uh, and I guess it um, it probably doesn't come like as much of a revelation to a lot of people that like started out playing 
all these fiddle tunes and stuff, but uh, this is like, you know, this is kind of newer stuff to me with just within the past like couple years, you know, just kind yeah. of getting used to all these weird, um, you know, nicer sounding, you know, weird melodic things. But uh, I, I can't help but wonder, and tell me if you have any ideas about this, is there something about banjo players that lends themselves to producing records? Because like one of the last people I talked to was... Uh, Pow from Che Apalache. Oh, and yeah. Bela just produced them, and Panda and Thorn are producing you guys. Uh, Wes Corbett is doing quite a bit of producing, and right. it seems like they're all just killing right. it. And yeah, uh, I, um, I, don't I don't know what to say about that. I don't know either. I think, I mean, I know like a lot of, a lot of banjo players used to be like, I, or at least a lot of them that I know used to be drummers. So, like, I, th- I feel like a, there's like a, a hmm. rhythmic thing that, that kind of uh, connects them with. With other people, I also feel like a lot of banjo players that I know too are are like you know almost like scientific kind of dudes, you know, like uh, really you know really intelligent, but also very like methodical in the way you know like uh, Greg List has a PhD in microbiology, sure, and like sure. and like you know, and but that's like I maybe that's just I think that because that's where I am coming from because I have a degree in um, environmental biology and so mm-hmm. and so like. Um, and Panda has a, a PhD. It, his is in banjo, but it's all you know. It, it's from. Uh, we also went to like Ivy League school. Yeah, right? he, yeah. He, I like think Dartmouth? he went to. Oh, I think he went to Berkeley. Maybe but, he went to Berkeley for music. Oh, for music. Uh, but I guess we shouldn't both just be speculating. speculating. About his, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just tell him after this that we were, uh, w- yeah, making up lies about him. I think he won a Nobel Prize at some point, and I think he huh. was president of the United States. And then yeah, I think he yes, was. He, uh, uh, MacArthur Genius Grant. He's Mother Teresa, actually. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, no, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, like, you know, and guys like Noam Pekelny or something like, you know, I just feel like when you talk to him, you know, they're very uh, methodical and, and a lot of things that they do are sort of like well calculated. So they approach it maybe from like a more academic type yeah, of Yeah, like the, yeah, standpoint. it's not... Um, yeah, it's not just like, you know, cause there is like a certain tendency as a musician or, you know, as like a, a bluegrass musician or a jam musician to, you know, maybe the, just the like, fuck it, we'll do it live kind yeah. of mentality that comes along. Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It can, can produce, you know, super cool moments. Um, but I just think, I, I don't know. I just think, uh, maybe people that, uh, are banjo players and, are, that tend to be producers are maybe they're a little uh, just more methodical humans. It is kind of know. a mathy instrument. It, right? it, that's what I was going to say. I don't. I don't know if it's a result of playing banjo or if it's as a result of being a nerdy guy that draws you to playing the banjo. Yeah, there, there's a chicken <laughs> or the egg there somewhere. Yeah, but it's, it's so. like it's like the yeah, it's like the it's like the metal guitar player kind of guy. Like he, you know, uh-huh. they're like they're all. You know, we we have like a lot of friends that are metal musicians, and and like as far as I know, it's not uh, it's not so much of the uh, you know crazy rock star thing that it used to be. It's more you know they're all like a lot of nerdy guys. Yeah. that are uh, they're all you know very uh, mathematical in the way they play things because you know the people that are into metal music that aren't musicians, those are the weird people. <laughs> 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 they're more you know they're more into it for the uh, for the. Uh, the folklore of the whole thing, you know, the anarchy and yeah, the rebellion and yes. the attitudes and the, and the mosh pits yes. and, the, yeah. and the fantasy that goes along with, you know, 
Yeah, I, I don't know firsthand exactly, but <laughs> I, I think I have. I've been around enough that I think I have a good idea of what you mean. Yeah, a little more of a Viking mentality, you know. Exactly. Yes. Um. So what what type of things are you? working on these days you said you were coming back around to fiddle tunes or like yeah. i don't know like a typical practice routine um like for it's, you. i guess um a lot of it, i mean obviously a lot of it is writing because you know we always want to be putting out new stuff mm-hmm. um but uh no i've been uh i i was just speaking speaking of metal i've been working I, you know i've been working on like me and pan have been like uh sending uh, these licks back and forth um that just kind of came from um that recording session of of Mirror Maid where like there's one like really metal part in there um, that like the you know, the background of it is like the the backbeat is but then like my solo over it it gets like it's just super like it gets kind of Lydian feel but it's also just like a lot of using the wrong notes in the in the right places so like you know, kind mm-hmm. of like a little Middle Eastern feel. So we've been sending a lot, a lot of licks back and forth of like that kind of like, you know. Right, uh, right. Sorry, I'm terribly out of tune. Uh, so I've been a lot of uh, stuff that we've been working on, just like kind of instrumentals. Um, just in the band, I've been kind of like prog rocky recently. So we've been like. one like a lot of it a lot of it is just like me riffing and like recording stuff and trying to think of new 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 stuff to put in our instrumentals but uh there's one that i've been uh messing and a lot of it comes from like knowing you know some of our friends like billy strings or uh, people you know where we we we're all kind of like grew up being like metal or punk rock kids and like now it's really translating over into the way we play and like there's a lot more similarities between that stuff and bluegrass than people oh yeah. probably think absolutely we and we do like random punk covers sometimes and it just translates over so perfectly it's just like four on the floor like uh-huh. you know um we we like have covered like less than jake in the past and like you know things like green day or um, stuff like that, and it just like works out so perfectly. But yeah, um, but I'll, more recently, I've been getting getting more into th- uh, or back into, I should say, things like Tool and st- stuff like that okay. are more like a little more uh, mathematical and kind of uh, you know a little more technique involved than punk rock. But uh, so there's what was the one? I was, I was like. Which, uh, you know, a lot, of, yeah, a lot of my practice session just starts with like going through a lot of those riffs and just kind of like remembering them from the day before, or, like, you know, trying to uh, add on stuff to them. Yeah, for um, sure. Is that how most of your writing happens? It starts with a, a, a riff? Is um, that? Yeah, sometimes in a lot, uh, I mean, sometimes it starts with, with words or phrases. Lyrics are like kind of, well, lyrics are hard for me. That's more on the harder end for mm-hmm. me than, uh, then the instrumental part in our our mandolin player Sean writes a lot of our songs, but he doesn't sing, so he has me sing all of his songs. He okay. So like, so he sends a, sends over a lot of lyrics and stuff, and then like a lot of times I'll write the hook or the melody. To okay, the, so a lot um, of the songs are like a co-written. Yeah, and usually, and usually thing, we just give we just give the credit to whoever you know came up with the chord progression and words and stuff, and then just say like it was arranged by the kitchen dwellers. Sure. 
But uh, yes, yeah, lot, lot, like pra- yeah, usually my practice session just starts to me like playing something that was in my head or something like that. But then I've, I've been uh, I've been getting really into like more I guess melodic banjo. I've I've been working on my Scruggs stuff, but my Scruggs like just straight up like yeah. uh, old school Scruggs is not uh, as up to par as I would like it to be. But uh, like cuckoo's like the Hartford cuckoo's nest. The, I try to do stuff like that that really like stretches my hand. It's a lot of, a lot of like back and forth, kind of like you're holding the tennis ball in your hand the whole time, you know? Yeah. It got, right. to, to get work on my dexterity and playing slower too, obviously, just trying to like chill out and and get, you know, make sure all the right notes are in there. Instead Feel of all just, of that, right? Instead yeah. Instead of just half assing it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> totally. But um, yeah, um, yeah, I think that's like a good amount of my practice session is. Uh, yeah, doing stuff like that, and then and then just like yeah, try to rip a couple couple fiddle tunes when I get when I get warmed up, and mm-hmm. so get the get the juices flowing, you know. What advice do you have for people that are in highly improvisational situations, like you yeah. find yourself? Because that that's probably unusual for a lot of people. Yeah, it, yeah, we're definitely like more of a jam band than a lot of our friends' bands. You know, like mm-hmm. um, a lot of bands we're friends with. You know, like bands we grew up with. Or like you know, being friends with, and are still friends with, but you know the bands we got started with, like the Little Smokies, are from Montana as well. Right. So like we went, we were all like in college, sort of at the same time, and like we opened for them in Missoula, and they would come to Bozeman and open for us. Trade like, gigs. And, and, and stuff, we like, yeah. yeah and, the, and those are the brothers. Like we've known them for a long time. So like, um, you know, to, to see like both of our bands kind of like coming up at the same time is like a super. You know, that's for both be real of our cool. yeah. both of our first Red Rocks gigs were like within the same summer. Like that's you know, oh, that's yeah. a, that's a really that's cool thing to think about. You know. But yeah, so like, but their thing is totally different than our, you know, like their style of, and their approach to bluegrass is like completely different. They're more towards the folky and like indie side of it. Would not to say that I'm not into it. I love a lot of bands, um, you know, that me and uh, Andy talk about like Dawes or uh, Mm -hmm. Deer Ticker, some of those like indie country rock bands, you know. Um, but their approach is totally different. We have uh, our buddy um, here tonight, uh, Adam Gruel from Horseshoes and Hand Grenades, is opening for us. He's been opening right. for us the whole week, and he, you know, Horseshoes and Hand Grenades thing is completely different from ours. And we did, a, you know, we did a whole tour together. We played together all the time, and we're, you know, best friends with those guys and have been for like ten years. But theirs is totally like a, you know, a Midwest bluegrass port, you know, sort of pertinier sandstone stuff yeah. kind of thing, you know. And they totally have their own thing. So it's kind of, I, I feel like they still jam. They still do jams and do go into other songs, but it's more, of, it's more of a bluegrass approach than a lot of our jams. A lot of our jams get a lot weirder for sure. Yeah. Um, but I would say I, the thing that we're, we're always working on and really uh, trying to work on uh, is just being patient. The biggest thing, it do, you know, it doesn't even, if you come to find out, it doesn't even matter like what sort of jam you go into. It might not even be your favorite sort of thing you're doing at the moment but if you you know if you just hold on to it for long enough sometimes like you know there's a reason that like fish will go and play for 20 minutes at the beginning of their second set or you know their first song of their second set is 20 minutes long because it takes them 20 minutes to get to a certain place where everyone's like holy shit what is happening Uh what is this thing we're staring at 
across the stadium, you know, right now. And that's like, that's the moment, that's the moment of every fish show that is written about the next day that comes out there. Like this, this was the thing right. last night, you know? And that, and I've heard Trey talk about that. And he's like in interviews and stuff. And he's like, that's why we play for that long is sometimes we need that long to get into that space. And, um, you know, like John Bell from widespread panic talks about like, uh, respecting that headspace when you get to that point on stage and, and not trying to rush it and not trying to rush anyone else, but also just like, you know, it's a very like a Zen kind of living in the moment, being very present yeah. for it, you know, kind of like a meditation approach to it. And so, yeah, I, I always feel like the, the worst way to botch jam isn't, isn't even like, it's not playing any wrong notes or, you know, do anything that could be necessarily considered wrong musically. It's just like pulling the ripcord too quick and just being like, we got to get out of this. And it, and it only takes one of you to yeah, ruin it. It, uh, it. it only takes one person to, to be like, we got to change this. I'm not, I'm not comfortable with this moment on stage. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it only takes one person to be like, to not vibe. And then it just doesn't work out. Um, so there's like a buy-in that has to, yeah. you know, like maybe you've talked about it, maybe you haven't, but it has to happen where yeah. everyone's on that. Where everyone gets on understanding the same page. That, yeah. yeah. And, it, um, but you know, it also like just, it just gets better the more you play together though. Also like, you know, of course, of we've course. been, uh, we've been really hammering it this year and staying super busy. We had a really long summer and, uh, and, um, you know, went right into a long fall tour and stuff. And like, and now it just really feels like we're all just like firing on all cylinders and uh, the past, you know, this past week, even though we weren't together for the three weeks prior has just been really awesome as far as improv goes and stuff. So, so I guess, yeah, that, that's, I guess that's my uh, advice is just, uh, just to, to be patient, be patient with yourself, I guess, as well as other people that you're on stage with. Yeah. I I think that is really important. A key moment, a key, a key uh, idea to finding a, a certain understanding on stage, you know? Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm. I'm really glad you brought that up because that's not what I had in mind when I asked that. But that is. That's a yeah. huge part of it. Yeah, and sometimes you know, and and there's a lot of like you know, it, even our band loves dissonance too. So like you know, there's some <laughs> point, some jams get into like, and which I've seen like leftover salmon, you know, do things like that uh-huh. too, where it gets super weird. But it also, if you come out of that and you re- get to the other side of that into something that's epic, you know, it's that much more, you right, know, right. uh, encompassing for everyone in the room when you like come out of that. It's like a, it's the, the tension and release thing that, uh, and when everyone's been on that journey the whole yeah, time. Yeah. Um, and, and like, sometimes like I, I've, the dusters are super good at it too. Of course, it's yeah. like a classic fish thing, but the dusters are super, you know, they'll like play like they're, what's that one melody that, It's like fork in the road or some one of those, but they'll do that. They'll do, you know, they'll pass that around at the end of that jam, and it, but it's like, and then, but it'll get into like, and like yeah. everyone, everyone in the crowd starts being like, oh shit, and then it like when it comes back again, everyone's like, everyone starts jumping up and down, you know, and that's like a and, it, a and if you moment, you know, and and it's amazing how much uh, Travis controls all of that. It it's, is, it, man. It all comes it down is. to him, especially yeah. after you like meet Travis and hang out with Travis. <laughs> <laughs> what you're saying like he knows it and uh <laughs> no more so you th- i feel like he uh he absolutely looks like he knows it and he's very good at being like he being like that wasn't what i planned at all <laughs> you know or something you know like he's he's uh he's such a funny dude he we've had uh had some hilarious times with the dusters recently and uh travis is just a 
fucking wild cat, man. <laughs> He's awesome. He's right. so awesome. Such a great bass player to have on stage with you. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think when I first got a hold of you, weren't you doing shows with them down we were, in uh, yeah. North we, Carolina a few yep. weeks ago? Yes, that was like a two-week run, and it uh, kind of started uh, It started on Halloween in Philly, and it went down all the way down to North Carolina. So Yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we got to get you to the gig, man. Yes, but, uh, yes, Before, before you go, just give us... Uh, the information about how everyone can find you and your music cool. online and everything they need to know to like plug the band and, yeah. and all that stuff. Um, yeah, so you can find us at uh, kitchendwellers.com and on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, all of our tour dates are on social media and on our website. And we have an online store on our website. You can find all of our albums and stuff on Spotify and all the streaming services. That's great, man. Yeah. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys for the first time. It's been a pleasure awesome. talking to you. Yeah, and, thanks uh, for having me, man. Glad yeah, you could do it. Much appreciated. Hell yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to that episode featuring Torin Daniels of the Kitchen Dwellers recorded at the Otis Supply venue in Ferndale, Michigan. The sound clips you heard in order was a song called Foundation, performed by the Kitchen Dwellers, a tune called Thornado, performed by Andy Thorne, uh, The Living Dread, performed by Kitchen Dwellers, Shady Grove, performed by Hot Rise, and The Quail, performed by the Kitchen Dwellers. Thank you once again to the Patreon supporters of this podcast. That was Annie Caps and Rich and Susan Southward. You can become a supporter at patreon.com slash banjo podcast contact the show picky fingers banjo podcast at gmail.com but that's going to do it for me hang in there everybody and i will see you next time <laughs>